a lot of people haven't been able to navigate. They've tried to buy the dips early in February and then they got ran over and then they tried in March and things deteriorated even more. So I, I think for the long only portfolio manager, it's been a five for the retail investor. I think it's been a one. I think it's been exceptionally hard. And I don't say that mocking them. I'm saying it because it's actually very true. It's a very hard market. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. It remains a whipsaw year for investors as both stocks and bonds are now up materially from their late June lows. So is this the all clear? Will prices rise further over the remainder of the year or is this a classic bear market rally? One that lulls the bulls back in before returning to maul everyone. In uncertain times like these, it's wise to tap the counsel of those with decades of long-term success in the markets. So today, we'll ask these questions of Thomas Thornton, former portfolio manager, senior trader, technical analyst, and now founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. All right, Tom. Well, look, I got a lot of questions here for you, but let's just start at the very high level. This is the question I ask all my guests at the beginning of these interviews. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? Well, we're coming out of, well, of a very different period that you can't really characterize and look back and say, well, this pandemic was just like the previous pandemic. We had such a wide um, amount of disruptions around the world. We had, uh, let's just go through it, lockdowns, you had supply chains uh, disrupted and broken. And I think we're still working through that. On top of it, we had the Fed and every cent central bank in the world stimulate like crazy. And I think it's really fair to say they overstimulated and now they've caused an inflation boom that it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle when we're talking about inflation. All right, so a um, lot of factors that we haven't seen for a long time, they happen to all be hitting at once. Um, you just said sort of the genie's out of the bottle here, um, so it's gonna be hard to put back in anytime soon, despite the Fed scrambling here now, finally you know, hiking rates as fast as it can. Um, <clears throat> so you know, your, your expertise um, is in Portfolio management is in trying to trade the markets that you have, not the markets that you wish you had. Um, this has been a really challenging year for investors. It's been one of the worst starts to the year for both the, the stock and bond markets combined, making it a relatively unique year. Um, so uh, your service is basically helping investors navigate this and, and try to try to try to uh, you know, survive it as best they can and, and you know, potentially make some money if, if possible. And um, I, I want to get quickly to the, the public portfolio that you share because it's actually done quite well this year. Um, but real quickly, based upon those the kind of dog's breakfast of, of uh, factors that you just mentioned there, kind of how unique is this year? How, how, how challenging this is this year in kind of a one to 10 scale based upon you know, the arc of your career here? Right. Well, I come from a hedge fund background and the main hedge fund I worked for, which was a $5 billion hedge fund, 
we were really quite good at navigating uh, difficult markets. Uh, we were net short for many years, and those were years that the market went up. And in 2008, uh, we had a really very good year um, catching the financial uh, carnage uh, on the short side. Uh, I can't say that uh, it was the year that uh, you know we we hit it out of the park, but we really basically we had a positive year. We survived. Um, I, our clients were very, very happy with us because everywhere else they were down 40%. Um, what I'm thinking this market, and it's really, it is a difficult market, a bear market, a really, really ugly bear market gives you very few places to hide. So it's been very hard to hide in stocks. It's impossible right now in the bond market and the bond market's been an absolute nightmare. And it's a silent scream because a lot of bond investors really don't see the carnage uh, in prices that that's happened um, this year. I mean, they're wondering why are my bond, why is my bond portfolio down? Um, commodities have been good, uh, but they've been also rather choppy. And if you were in energy, you just saw a twenty percent drawdown uh, off the highs, which I think a lot of macro touristy type people went into energy as they saw it booming and they got into it rather late thus it fell apart and uh, came down gold no silver no bitcoin no you can't there's no place really that's been able to hide other than cash i mean let's just let's just be real straight so i have had a good year, but I trade both long and short. And I also have at times had advised a large percentage in cash. And cash has done, you know, it doesn't pay you anything, but it hasn't gone down. And it just leaves room for you to navigate when you see areas of when you want to buy or when you want to short into things. So I said early in January to my clients that it's going to be a tactical year where you're gonna have these big moves lower, you're gonna get bear market rallies that come fast, furious, end well before you want them to, if you're long, and people chase at the very end. And I think right now, uh, we're here in August 1st, I think people are chasing this latest rally. Today, the markets have been choppy, they're trying to move higher, and it's of course the mega cap tech and Tesla, and the, those names are, are doing the heavy lifting while breath is negative. So that's a little bit of a concern for myself. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really flexible um, in my thinking. I don't carry a lot of bias, um, even though I, I will say uh, I worked for a fund that uh, we, were, we were net short for many years. It wasn't really uh, just fundamentals. Um, I look at technicals, I look at market sentiment, and it's still a bear market, in my opinion. Okay, still a bear market in your opinion. All right, I want to get into in a bit where you think the trajectory of that bear market is from here. Um, before we get that, few other questions. First, I'm going to re-ask one that I, I, I asked earlier, which is just if you could put a, a ranking of one to 10, 10 being the most difficult and challenging, how would you kind of generally classify this market versus the ones that you've had to invest in and trade in your career? Well, for me, I'm 
I was trained in this type of market. I like this type of volatility. Um, so for me, it's been a 10. I, I love this. Um, opens up opportunities because I use different indicators that spot exhaustion signals on the downside and the upside. Um, market sentiment has been up and down and mostly down. Um, so it's a 10 for me, and it's probably a one for the majority of people out there because a lot of people haven't been able to navigate. They've tried to buy the dips early in February, and then they got ran over, and then they tried in March, and things deteriorated even more. So I, I think for the long-only portfolio manager, it's been a five. For the retail investor, I think it's been a one. I think it's been exceptionally hard. And I don't say that mocking them. I'm saying it because it's actually very true. It's a very hard market. And, you know, I make mistakes all the time. I'm currently short a bunch of stuff, truth be told, and they're underwater uh, on a little bit on this bounce. So it's just, you can be wrong, but just don't be wrong for that long and make sure that you size your portfolio properly where you don't have way too much into one stock or sector or asset class for that matter. Okay. Um, so I, I want to get to ask you some specific questions about the Fed and some recent comments you made about that. Is it fair to say that one of the reasons why it may be such a, a painful uh, and, and challenging year for the average retail investor is that they have been sort of lulled into a complacency um, and a set of expectations over the past decade with all the liquidity that's been pushed into markets propping up prices in the sense that if anything gets even remotely uncomfortable, the Fed's going to step in and, and, and try to ease all pain. And so people are kind of they're trying to use a playbook that's worked great right up until now, but it doesn't work anymore in this environment. I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, we've we've seen the Fed come in at various times in the last decade, maybe the last 20 years. Um, but there's one thing that we haven't had when the Fed comes in, and that's high inflation. So there is this inflation is off the charts, and it really makes the Fed's job so, so much harder. And again, the Fed, I mean, the Fed is not necessarily the end-all cure-all for the market environment. Um, I mean, many people are speculating that the Fed's going to pivot just because we've seen a, a few economic reports come out showing that inflation is starting to moderate. Yeah, I, I think inflation peaked with the June a CPI report that was released in July. But I also think, and it will come down in the next week when uh, the, the July, excuse me, the June CPI released in July. Okay. The July CPI will be lower. Um, but I think the problem is it's going to remain elevated. And the Fed says, well, we want to bring inflation down to 2%. You can't get inflation down to 2% and have the stock market go up and have rates go down um, on the 10-year and 30-year, uh, that's not going to happen. We are going to, the Fed is going to keep going and going until they bring inflation down to that 2%. I think we're going to go into a recession. I feel pretty strong about it. And a lot of people that have the have said in the past, well, 
inflation is transitory, they're moving to the camp that we could have a mild recession. I don't think recessions are ever mild and recessions are not necessarily cured by the Fed's early actions. The Fed can start cutting rates, enacting QE, but still unemployment will go higher. And I've seen that happen in the data in the past. I mean, inflate, or excuse me, the um, unemployment rate from last month was 3.6%. And people are talking about the Fed pivoting at this level. I think that that's ill-advised. And uh, there was another person, I'll just kind of go on this because I think it's important. There was another person out there in the Twitter world uh, who's a research analyst who is very well respected. And he claimed that uh, he believes that the market has bottomed, the equity markets have bottomed, and that's possible. Uh, and we're moving to the 1982 Volcker moment when he pivoted. Now, the ISM uh, manufacturing just came out today. It's at 52.8. The ISM back in 1982, August of 82, was under 40. It's a big difference. Uh, it was contracting for a, a, a long time. The unemployment rate went from 5.2% in February of 1980 to that around 10%, uh, just I think it was 10%. And the Fed uh, with Volcker started to pivot after, um, actually about three months before the unemployment rate peaked. And that's 30 months. So I think that people are getting ahead of themselves and that's been talked about. Um, and I think the Fed's gonna really clamp down on, on all of this. So I, I think that the macro is much different than other periods and people expecting the Fed to pivot to save them. I, I think it's, it's just, it's ill-advised. Okay, um, great. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull on these threads here uh, and then go back to some of the, where I was leading to with some of the other questions, but you're getting right to the meat of this, which is great. So uh, you're right. So th there's a chart here from your um, recent Twitter feed that shows that CPI peaked back in February of 1980 at almost 15%. Um, and you said that Volcker pivoted when the CPI dropped to 5.7% 30 months after the peak, right? So, um, uh, you know, it, it took a, a long, long time after the peak of inflation before the Volcker pivot actually happened, right? And, and you say those people that are calling for, for a pivot right now when, when we're not even certain if inflation's peaked yet as measured by the CPI, you know, if it has, it's just done so, right? We don't, we don't have that lag that sounds like you're expecting. And then mostly importantly, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the administration and a lot of sort of conventional economists right now are saying, nope, 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 we're not in a recession. Don't worry about those two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, it's different this time because jobs are so strong, right? And we've I've talked with some other experts on this program of late that that is a very lagging indicator. Um, and of course, if you're watching the tea leaves right now, if, as the economy is slowing and you have said you're worried that we're entering recession, um, you know, that can change on a dime. And just to pull up another chart of yours, you said that unemployment in February of 1980 at the peak of the CPI reading was around 6.3%. 
and that Volcker pivoted when employment was at 9.5% and it eventually topped almost 11%. So you're basically saying- You got my numbers better than, than I do. Well, I, I, I pulled them off in preparation of this. But basically what you're saying is, is, look, we know how this movie plays out and we're still at the start of it unemployment-wise, right? That, that you're not gonna see the Fed because it has to slay the inf inflation dragon it's not going to pivot here when unemployment is still so low. You know, if we're going to see, you know, some sort of semblance of, of what broke the back of inflation under the Volcker rules, inflation is probably going to have to be a lot, lot higher here before the Fed feels pressured to pivot, at least by that alone. Did I did I summarize your position correctly? I think that I think that, it, again, I think inflation has peaked. I think the July numbers coming out next week will decline. The market may probably will respond favorably thinking the Fed for sure will pivot. But we've also seen some of those inflationary commodities bounce back towards the later part of the month. And I think that's also partly due to the stronger equity markets, the stronger bond markets. Um, I think that you could see the data that comes out for August and September not necessarily go down any bit more than what we see next week. And it may even tick up a little. And I don't think the market's going to respond really well if we start to see an uptick after one down month. The real issue is the consumer, especially the low-end consumer and, and companies are going to be affected by high inflation, even if inflation is at 5%. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a historically high level. And I think that the longer term problem that we're gonna have and why I think we're in a bear market, and it's a bear market that really hasn't seen uh, earnings destruction. You know, the S&P earnings estimates have remained rather high. So I don't think we've seen the earnings problems come back into the frame. And if I remember back in 2000, the, the Q2 numbers for earnings came out a little better and it was a big relief for the market, much like what we just saw with earnings and what we're seeing right now with Q2 earnings. It's, it's almost like, oh, better than feared. Oh, great. It's, it could have been worse. And right. They're still, they're still bad, just not as bad as we all feared. Right. But then in, in October, things got really bad in 2000 and you had some really major companies guiding down just because it didn't bounce back and maybe um maybe all these companies have just you know found every penny in the couches of the lobbies of whatever you know their offices to throw at um a good earnings report this quarter and look there's mega cap tech they they have a lot of levers they can they can pull to increase numbers that's a you know stabilizing factor um the for the nasdaq especially uh but i i think you're also you know we could be peaking with some of the energy names as well all right so um let's let's just talk a bit about um you know kind of how how bad things could get so um you're concerned that uh, and i'm going to put words in your mouth but but correct them in any way um you're concerned about about margin compression or you know a profits recession here as companies are getting squeezed by um, declining demand, right? As as prices get so high that just organic demand destruction begins to go on, 
Um, plus there's the demand destruction that's being actively pursued by the Fed by raising the cost of capital, right? So the cost of, of, of financing for these companies is getting more expensive. So both of those kind of compressed margins, they decrease economic activity, right? And I, I believe that that's your concern about why we're heading into a recession here is because inflation's bringing demand down, but the Fed is actively pushing harder and harder on the brakes, you know, trying to, to, to additionally get demand down even further, right? And then there's the whole issue of, you know, maybe this is a policy mistake where the Fed pumps the brakes too hard. And by the time the policy, you know, impact hits in nine months or however long it takes from now, we could be in a bad recession and the, the, the hitting impact of, of the delayed impact of what the Fed's doing could make things even worse at that point in time, right? So there's, there's the question of how bad could this recession be? And I think you just said earlier, there really, really aren't that many pleasant recessions. There aren't that many shallow recessions we have to point to. Um, so there's that. And, and if you could also, in your answer, just address layoffs. How bad do you think they could get? Because A, that's the magic talisman that, that the Fed and a lot of uh, the current leaders of the administration are waving to say, don't worry, jobs are really good. But as you and I just talked about, that, can, that could change pretty quickly. Do you expect uh, you know, the type of layoffs that we've seen in the past, either in 08 or in the you know, dot-com bust? I, 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 well, I can't speculate that it's going to be as high as, as those periods because you, you actually, there were a couple things that were happening um, with technology. And technology um, in the dot-com bust, uh, you had this boom bust, but it, everything sort of shifted over to the housing markets and Greenspan kept rates real low and created another bubble with the housing world. Now, you know, going back to 2008, 2009, um, the financial crisis, that was the, of course, the next bubble to burst. But I think you had this huge productivity boom. And I will say, I think it was mainly due to technology and the iPhone and new technologies that were really uh, becoming part of our lives. I mean, if you go back and you think in 2009, okay, we were just coming into the new iPhone world. How many companies grew out of the iPhone on mobile? And you can look at and say, well, Facebook, uh, when they pivoted to mobile, they took off Uber, uh, all these delivery apps, just so many different things. I don't see that technology boom coming anytime soon. And that to me says that the recession can be longer until there's another uh, manifestation of technology that we're going to embrace. The other thing is, again, we haven't seen earnings compress, or we haven't seen margins compress enough. And that usually is a longer term, um, let's say one year, four quarter, I mean, maybe even six quarters. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to unemployment. Once you get it turning, it typically keeps going. And I, I think we're at a incredibly good level at this at this point. And I just don't see it getting any better. I think it's only going to get worse. And again, it takes time. Um, and I, so I can't speculate on how high it can go. But, you know, the Fed will probably hit the panic button at 5%. And it may even go to 6%. And I think that'll be really felt 
uh, in the markets. And you know, so people are thinking, oh, well, the Fed's going to come in and they're going to pivot. They're going to cut rates. They're already planning. You know, there's there's uh, um, probabilities of rate cuts in 2023, and, and maybe that's going to happen. But what if it doesn't work? What if the Fed's actions don't really do what's happened in the past? Mm -hmm. Because you you need that longer term earnings uh, slowdown. You need to reset earnings a lot a lot lower, and you don't have technology that's going to bail you out with with new innovations, new companies. So yeah, I'm like Mr. Bearish today. I'm sorry, it's Monday. Um, <laughs> really sorry about that. But here's the other thing: there are op opportunities on the long side to find, uh, and you just have to pick your spots and. There'll be bear market rallies, and, and maybe we're just going to be in a sideways pattern for a couple of years. And that happened in the 70s, also a time when we had very high inflation, uh, political uh, instability, and uh, a, a, a difficult uh, situation with oil. So that, I think, is um, my, my scenario is we're going to be in a sideways, choppy pattern for um, possibly um, the next couple of years. Okay, um, which obviously that works well for people kind of with your uh, background in terms of, of how to invest in trade markets like that. Um, and I do wanna get into where you see the opportunity. So we'll, we'll get there hopefully in just a couple of minutes. Um, real quick, you, you mentioned something that, um, that I've sort of been um, just positing out there in recent videos here, which is that, um, uh, we may investors, you know, the, the, the consensus I would say amongst the general investing community is that, you know, that the fed's going to pivot and it, it, and maybe the additional consensus is the fed will keep tightening until something breaks and then it'll pivot. But, um, what I've, what I've been sort of asking a number of guests and you just brought this up without me even having to ask you is, is may the market actually get what it's hoping for, meaning the fed will pivot but the implications of the pivot may not be what the market is hoping for. You know, I think right now the general consensus is, is oh, the Fed pivots and we're back to happy days again. We know what that script looks like. We've, we've had that for the past 10 years. Um, you know, uh, rates go down, prices of everything shoot the moon. We're all happy again. We just buy the dip and let it ride. Um, I think you're, you're, you're warning saying, ah, it might not actually work out that way. Well, let's just re remember that the Fed balance sheet uh, where it is today and they're doing QT. And I don't see them jumping in and saying, let's do some more QE anytime soon, unless there's something that is absolutely extraordinary. And Q, QE is what the market really wants. Um, they, they can, they'll be fine if, uh, I mean, I just don't think the, the market will be as uh, reactive on the positive side if we drop rates by 50 basis points from here. But again, I think the Fed's going to, they're going to get cover to continue to hike rates as long as the stock market goes up. So you know, if you really want the Fed to pivot, let the market go down and let unemployment spike and have margins compress and everything else bad happen. And then guess what? The Fed will pivot, but they're not going to pivot at 4,200 or even 4,000 on the S&P. I mean, they need to see something blow up or break to make a 
reactionary move. And and of course, let's just one thing you mentioned. You know, whenever I hear the the policy mistake, that's always after the Fed does something for a continuous amount of time, and then they say, "Oh, that last hike was a mistake." You know, the mistake was cutting rates to zero for how many years? A decade, right. and then stimulating like you know they had all the money in the world and throwing it all at the pandemic and that i think is that's the policy mistake that our general you know generations are going to have to deal with because of the fed balance sheet so high um yeah i'm just going down the path of bearishness <laughs> that's all right you know you're, you're it's only not monday yeah, but don't worry. You're 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 not out on a limb relative to the other experts on this channel. You're kind of in the majority, so don't worry. This this audience knows well the the mistakes of the past of the Fed. Well, I I also when I when I do get bullish on things, um, it's usually when people are the most bearish. And one of the things that I track market sentiment on many different things. I look at market technicals, internals, and you know, so I've caught some of the bottoms um, in the bounces, and we've had you know a bunch of them uh, this year. You know, seven to twelve percent. Uh, this last one I didn't catch so well. I do have longs on there, but uh, unfortunately, um, I'm set up more short right now. But you know, I can I can withstand a little little pain um, if I'm if I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'll cut it, jump on my sword, and uh, move on. All right. Well, look, just to give you the credibility that you deserve, um, the question I've, I've been trying to work my way back to, which we'll get to in just a second, is uh, you publish uh, a portfolio called the Hedge Fund Telemetry Trade Ideas Portfolio, and that, I believe, is up 20 percent year to date. Um, so um, we'll, we'll get to that. You're, you're sort of what's been the secret of, of the success for that in, in just a second. Um, but uh, real quick, though, um, uh, back to uh, you know, the Fed and, and pivoting and whatnot. Um, there is a school of thought out there that says, and I'll give credit to Bill Fleckenstein, who was the first one to raise it on this channel, where he said, you know, if the Fed pivots before inflation is, is really tamed, um, and, and my guess is, well, I'll let you answer, but I, 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 uh, I, I'm guessing you think it's going to be a long time before the Fed really, truly has inflation under control. Um, let's say the Fed pivots when inflation, the CPI is back down at six or five or something like that, um, that if it pivots, there's a school of thought that it, that's the point at which it may lose the confidence of the bond market, where the bond market says, you know what, you guys can't fully contain this monster that you created. We don't have any confidence that you're ever going to get it under control anymore. Um, and therefore, we're taking yields higher from here to demand to be compensated for the, uh, the, the, the additional permanent risk that we now see. Um, do you what do you think about that? Is that something you think might be likely or not likely? Well, I think uh, I like Bill a lot and uh, followed him for many years and um, one of the really, really smart guys out there. Uh, I agree. If the Fed does uh, pivot too early, and again, I think that we're going to see a CPI that comes down dramatically uh, from last month. But if everything starts to rise again, uh, that CPI for August could be higher when we when it's reported in September, and all those people that thought the Fed was going to pivot because of one month off the high, I think it's going to be 
um, a sad story for them. And, you know, look, I, I would love it to say, okay, you know, we've worked off all the excesses. We've done all the bad stuff that we need to do. Uh, the economy's cooled off and we got a soft landing, but it's very rare that we get a soft landing. And that's another thing. I don't see the Fed pivoting with a soft landing. I think they would be more status quo and leaving rates more unchanged. You know, if the, if the only thing the market has is monetary stimulus and that's, I mean, that's still a very sad reflection of, of the market. Uh, I know that, you know, it's liquidity in the market and everything like that, but I think that the, the market needs to stand on its own and prove that it's worth what it's worth at, at this level. But, you know, one thing I can look over on my screen over here and all around me, but I see some of the more speculative tech names going up, Tesla, um, you know, the semiconductors are, I think are still overvalued, um, DoorDash, PayPal, little, you know, names like that, um, even the meme stocks are just ridiculous. And until that excess is broken down and people just don't navigate towards those, then um, I don't think the Fed's going to pivot. I don't think the Fed's going to pivot. Um, and if they pause, that's the same thing uh, as a pivot. Um, and there's been a lot of people that said, oh, that's, that'll skyrocket the market. You know, again, what Bill said, doing it too early. Um, I'd, you know, maybe Volcker was right. He, he did it after the CPI went down substantially. Uh, maybe he was right that he got the trending CPI lower rather than what these people want now. The market wants is, uh, you know, one month down and a couple of data points uh, lower. I mean, I just think it's, uh, it, it just doesn't fit into my, my thinking. Okay. All right. Well, look, let's, let's get to your, um, your outlook for where you think the market you know, is headed from here and how you're positioning for it. Real quick, though, let's talk about that, that 27% return year to date so far on that public portfolio that you're sharing. Um, what, what do you attribute to your ability to outperform the market so extremely, right? I mean, this is a year where the markets are down, you know, bonds are down 10 plus percent, uh, or at least have been, and, you know, S&P down, I don't know where it is today. It's probably not down quite 20, but it was there. And, you know, NASDAQ was down 30 and yada, yada. I mean, 27% is a pretty massive overperformance. Well, I'm, I'm again, I'm two-sided in the market. I really haven't been, um, I tried buying bonds at one point. I lost money on it. Um, my hit rate is around 70% of this year, and uh, which I think is, you know, I'm really pleased about that. Uh, it's a down year. And one thing that might surprise people is I've traded a lot more on the long side than I have on the short side. I've made more money on the short side than the long side. And that's partly because I have bought when I buy the long uh, smaller sized positions. Everything to me is about sizing. And my minimum size is 2% of my assets and my max is 5%. And the way I look at that, and I, look, I'm, I talk to a lot of different 
investors. I have, you know, some really, you know, the more um, well-known hedge fund managers. I've got pensions. I've got all sorts of mutual fund managers. And then I have a lot of, you know, wealth managers um, and then retail investors that have found me on Twitter or wherever. And who are, I have some that are incredibly, incredibly smart. Some maybe smarter than some of the hedge fund managers I've talked to. But I feel like I have a responsibility to make sure that I don't blow anybody up in the sense of getting too bullish on something or too bearish on something. I always stress my size. And if I'm, you know, if I'm down 10% on a 5% position, you know, what am I going to lose? And how is it going to really affect someone's um, month or actually their year or lifestyle? Um, so I really, I care about people a lot and I want to make sure that the sizing gets done right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are impatient. They want to get, they want to make money real fast. And that's not me. That's not me at all. Um, I like making money fast. You know, I like when trades go in my favor quickly, but I don't anticipate those. And so I, um, if I get them great. Uh, but I think by having it sized right, you can navigate around the market uh, on the long side and short side. And again, you know, I've had a, I've had a great year. I mean, last year was pretty good too. Um, but even with the, the sizing that I do, it's, it's worked. It, it, there's not like one giant position that's, that's taken me over the top. It's just, a, it's grinding it out. Okay. So grinding it out again, um, you know, two to 5% positions, you're not ever saying, I've, I love this idea. I'm going in 40 plus percent and then potentially having it blow up on you and digging a big hole. That's going to be hard to get out of. No, totally no. get all I, that. I like sleeping. I mean, yeah. you know, I like <laughs> my weekends. You're kind of sleeping well. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, okay. When I, I, I went to school in California and I would, um, my parents got me one thing for uh, Christmas one year. They bought me a Mac. I didn't even anticipate it. And I, I oh, great, thanks. But I bought a, a, a program for blackjack. And I started just like any college student, I started playing um, just, I became obsessed and I read all these different things. And I, um, I met Ed Thorpe and all these other, you know, statistical type people. Um, because he, anyway, um, but as it turned out, I would, I'd go to Vegas and I'd play blackjack. And the same reasoning with sizing was part of the way I would succeed and not blow myself up. A lot of people will, you know, get down and then they'll say, oh, I'm going to put 25% or 50% or all my money on something and hope they win. And if not, they're, they're going home. Um, so it's, that's kind of where I learned, um, position sizing and how to stay in the game. And that's, you know, I'd rather underperform and be in cash and miss an opportunity than lose money. Okay, great. So the, the discipline of position sizing has been key for you, not just this year, but but throughout your, your career. Um, in terms of cash, because you started off this interview by saying that, that this is a good year to be in cash, how much of that portfolio is in cash where you've still had this 27% return? Well, there's, there's times where I'm fully invested. Um, I was, I'm around 12 and a half percent cash right now. 
there were several times in the last couple months where I had 50% in cash. And there are a lot of portfolio managers that can't do that. Uh, obviously, they have to be fully invested. But I think if anything, it just shows people my lack of conviction on either the long or short side mm -hmm. uh, when I do have a lot of cash. And, um, and, and that's generally it. I, I can do whatever I want. I'm, you know, I don't have a mandate from other people to be fully invested or to do ESG or whatever. I can buy or sell whatever I want. I stay in my core competency. I don't buy Bitcoin. I don't trade anything that I don't quite know. I do have a fundamental uh, background. I do look at fundamentals. Um, I, I tend to look for li liquid stocks. Uh, most of my stocks will be in the S&P. And um, it's just sort of the, the way I navigate. And it just fits my own personality and style. All right. Well, we um, big part of what we do at Wealthone is we educate people through these videos and then we connect them with like-minded uh, financial advisors who, who understand all the macro issues that we, we talk about on here. And um, <clears throat> the standard financial advisor, as you said, they don't like to be in cash because they feel like, well, my client could be doing that on their own. And one of the dangers of, of feeling that pressure is, is they're always fully invested all the time, which you just said, it's not always the right thing to be. And my guidance for folks is always, hey, you, you, you want to, the relationship with the financial advisor is you want them to know when to be in cash, right? You, you, you want them to be moving to cash when it makes sense, right? You don't want them to just always be 100% invested all the time for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned there. Um, all right, well, look, so let's get to your, your general outlook for the market here. If I, if I understood you correctly from what you said earlier, um, you think we're in a bear market. Um, you don't think the bear market is over. So I guess a couple of key questions. One, you know, um, how much further down do you think it's likely to go? Um, what are going to be some of those key indicators? I think you mentioned earlier, you know, if, if we start seeing um, uh, companies really begin to, to bring down their guidance, maybe in the next quarter or two, that that could be another trigger for a big leg down. Um, but, you know, how... Uh, how deep do you think this could go and what path do you think we're going to take to get there? We may, I, I think the best case scenario. Our interview with Tom will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel tomorrow as soon as we're finished editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. Oh, and good news. Feedback on last week's pilot launch of Adam's Notes, my summary of the key takeaways from the video interviews I do hear each week on Wealthion, was hugely positive, so we're going to keep the practice going. To get my top takeaways from this interview with Tom for free, just go to Wealthion.com slash Adam's Notes. Finally, if the challenging macro outlook Tom has detailed in this interview has you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your wealth, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your wealth, keeping in mind the trends and risks that Tom has mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our interview with Thomas Thornton.